So we're going to talk about Jesus, our lamb. And um, I'm really excited about this series. And today I just thought I was going in one direction. I ended up going in another direction. And I'm just so excited um, to share what I felt like the Lord showed me. And so I hope, this is four pages of scripture. I don't even have like what I'm going to say about the scripture. So we're hopefully going to pray and get through all this. But um, so are you guys ready to fasten your seatbelts and get started? All right. So we are going to look at John and uh, John 1 verses 29 and 30. And this is early in Jesus's ministry. His cousin John is um, his cousin John is baptizing people and he has the spirit of Elijah on him and people are being baptized for the forgiveness of sins and um, for repentance. And so this is what it says in John 1, 29 and 30. The next day he, that's John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he on, on behalf of whom I said, After me comes a man who has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. So John says... Behold the Lamb of God. And I'm sure when you use the word behold, you don't say, behold. You say, behold. You know, it's a big, it's a big word. It's a big deal. And so he's pointing at Jesus and he's saying, look, there's the Lamb of God. And then he says that Jesus existed before him. Now, that's a little odd, isn't it? Because... He was dancing and jumping for joy in Elizabeth's womb, and Jesus was just a little fetus, you know? And so, but of course, we know that Jesus is eternal. So that's a whole other Bible study, but we won't go into it. There are three events in the Old Testament that are talked about over and over and over and over again. Many events are mentioned, but there's three big ones that you can find throughout the Old and New Testament. And that's creation and the flood and the Passover. The one that is mentioned the most throughout the Old Testament is the Passover. And it's very interesting to read through the Psalms and just take use a tally and count how many times the Passover is mentioned. Very, very interesting. And um, so... Anyway, those are three events, and it, it's it's kind of interesting because the Passover is like the first big thing that after the Passover, the Jews became a kingdom. And those three big things that are mentioned over and over are all undermined. You know, the flood is undermined, creation is undermined with evolution, and then there's the, the Jews have, of course, been hunted down and that people have tried to exterminate the Jews um, throughout history. So, um, but we're not going to talk about any of that. Just to say that the Passover is the most talked about event in the Old Testament. And there's a reason why. And so I feel like if we're going to talk about Jesus being our lamb, I want to go back and look at what came to the people's mind that were there because there were people there and they heard John say that and their immediate thought, 
I believe, went to the Passover because they knew what lamb Jesus was being compared to. So we're going to we're going to go back and we're going to look at um, Exodus. So I'm going to um, start in Exodus 11. And just to let everyone know, um, you know, God calls Abraham. Well, actually, God called Abraham's father. He said, hey, you know, I, I have a promise to make to you. But, you know, Tara wasn't sure if he wanted to serve God or wanted to serve idols. And he never fully, they went halfway. And then finally, when, when Tara died, Abraham walked with God and, and walked and, and lived his life moving through the promised land. And then he has Isaac and he has uh, Jacob and then finally um, Joseph. And Joseph ends up in Egypt and is able to save the whole family from starvation. So we have this little family of probably with all the wives and children, a little over a hundred. And that family begins to incubate and it incubates for 400, a little over 400 years. And while it is incubating, that family becomes very, very strong into a nation, a healthy nation, so healthy that their babies don't die. When the Pharaoh tries to kill the babies, the babies, the moms are able to have their babies on their own. And, you know, they have to hunt them down. They have to, like, go ahead. Well, I won't even go into all that. So here we have this nation that God is incubating. And then God says, it's time for me to take them out. Now, to make them want to follow him out, (laughs) some things had to happen so that they would want to leave Egypt because they had it pretty cushy for quite a while in Egypt. So God allowed them to become slaves. And in their bitter labor, they began to cry out to God. And so God, God raises up Moses, who knows the ways of the Pharaoh. He knows the ins and outs of the court. And he humbles him. And finally, at 80, he's ready for ministry. Do you guys ever feel like you're on the bench? And here's Moses waiting till he's 80, you know. And um, so Moses goes, and he appears before Pharaoh. And he basically says this, I am... I am speaking on behalf of the one true God. And every ancient culture knew there was a one true God. Whether they wanted to admit it or not, they all knew. And so he said, I'm speaking on behalf of the one true God. And basically, let us go. We want to go worship the Lord. We want to be his people. Let us go. And first they asked to just go worship in the desert. Then later they asked for more and more. And so... Pharaoh keeps saying no. So every time Pharaoh says no, a plague comes. And every single plague is against one of the false gods that they worship. So they worship the Nile River. And so what happens? The Nile River turns to blood. And, you know, we could go through each of those. But this final one is important because the Pharaoh, the the plague, and I'm going to read it uh, directly from the scripture, but the Pharaohs believed they were gods. And it was the oldest son of the Pharaoh who became the next Pharaoh. And he married his sister, which is kind of creepy. But um, all of you who have brothers are being completely gross out right now. But anyway, so he, but it's that oldest son that became a deity in their culture. So I want you to just see that before we go into it, because, you know, in every situation with every single plague, it was a judgment 
against their worship of a false god. And so this is the final one is their, you know, their judgment against their worship of the Pharaoh and that believing that the Pharaoh himself was a deity. So, okay. Um, all right. So here we go. Um, Exodus 11. Now the Lord said to Moses, one more plague I will bring on Pharaoh and on Egypt. After that, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will surely drive you out from here completely. Speak now in the hearing of the people that each man ask from his neighbor and each woman from her neighbor for articles of silver and articles of gold. The Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Furthermore, the man Moses himself was greatly esteemed in the land of Egypt, both in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. Moses said, thus says the Lord, about midnight, I am going out into the midst of Egypt and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of the Pharaoh who sits on the throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the millstones, all the firstborn of the cattle as well. Moreover, there will be a great cry in all the land of Egypt, such as there has not been ever before, and as shall never be again. But against any of the sons of Israel, a dog will not even bark, whether against man or beast, that you may understand how the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. All your servants will come down to me and bow themselves before me, saying, Get out! you and all who follow you, and after that I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. So he goes to the people and he says, listen, this is what's going to happen. God, there's one more plague coming, and God is going to spare you. And then Pharaoh will let you go. So before you go, just go to your neighbors and say, hey, do you have any gold or silver? Um, Because you give it to me. And they... You know, imagine, I would be like, my mom would say, oh, that's terrible. That's such, so ill-mannered, you know. But um, that's what he told them to do. And so, so this is what, so he's setting them up. And, and what's very interesting is at this point, the Pharaoh has full chance to repent. The people have full chance to repent, the people of Egypt. They esteem Moses, but they're not asking him, how can we be spared too? See that? And that's important to know because sometimes we go, oh, those poor people, they were just caught in the wrong place at the wrong time. God's patience is so long. And when he finally has enough, he gives so many warnings. And it makes me think of World War II. You know, when they sent off the, the, um, the atomic bomb, what they did is they dropped leaflets for a week saying in Japanese, we are going to bomb, and they gave the exact location, get out. We are going to bomb here, get out. If you stay here, you will die, or you will be sick for the rest of your life. They told them all about the bomb, and they dropped leaflets after leaflets after leaflets. All, so the Japanese knew the bombs were coming. And the emperor would not let the people leave. And the roads were blocked. So, in the same way, God 
drops these leaf. Did you ever learn that in school? Probably not, right? Did you? So in the same way, God drops these leaflets and he says, this is what I'm going to do. There's a way out. But if you stay there, you're going to be destroyed. And it's important to remember that about God, that he does destroy sin. He does destroy evil. That's just what he does. <laughs> so, okay. Um, I want to move on now into um, the next chapter in Exodus, Exodus 12. And I'm starting in verse 1. Now the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be the beginning of months for you. It shall be the first month of the year to you. So just before I go on there, so basically he's changing their calendar. Do you see that? He's changing their calendar. And to this day, the Jews have a different calendar. And Passover month is the first month. So just, you know, something interesting. This month shall be the beginning of months for you. Oh, I read that. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month they are each one to take a lamb for themselves, according to their father's household, a lamb for each household. Now if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his neighbor nearest to his house are to take one according to the number of persons in them. According to what each man should eat, you are to divide the lamb. Your lamb should be an unblemished male, a year old. In other words, a male that's just full grown, just barely full grown. Um, you may take it from the sheep or from the goats. You shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to kill it at twilight. Moreover, they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that same night roasted with fire, and they shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled at all with water, but rather roasted with morning. But whatever, of le but whatever is left over until morning, you shall burn with fire. Now you shall eat it in this manner, with your loins girded, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will go through the land of Egypt on that night. Gods of Egypt, I... Uh, sorry, on that night, and will strike down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and then listen to this, and against all the gods of Egypt, all the false idols, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land. So he changes their year, he tells them this is this this is basically a goodbye meal. That's what it is, which is interesting, of course, because the Last Supper was a goodbye meal too. And so this is a goodbye meal. He's they're ready to travel. If it was in modern, you know, vernacular today, or if it was happening today, we would say, you know, okay, have gas in your car, have your suitcases packed, have your backpacks packed, and your coolers with food. And be ready to go. So you, you know, you eating that last meal ready to leave, ready to go. Um, something that is interesting is that uh, he goes on in verse 14 and he says, now this day will be a memorial to you and you shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord. 
throughout your generations, you are to celebrate it as a permanent ordinance. So the, the next few verses that I'm skipping, he tells them not to eat leaven for seven days and to remove it from their house when they celebrate it. So he's basically, okay, if I came to you and said, okay, something is going to happen today and we're going to celebrate this every year at the same time every year for the rest of your life, then you would know something is about to happen. Something is changing. Like something is incredible. It's different. And so this first Passover, I am sure they did not get it. Like the leaven, remove the leaven. What are they talking about? And, you know, of course they will in a few minutes. But so he tells them to get it out of their house. And I'm skipping those verses. Um, and, and before, I'm going to start again on verse 21. But before I do, realize this. These are shepherds who love their sheep, who love their lambs. And I'm sure they do eat them. But he's asking them to take these little lambs that are just big, the perfect ones, the perfect ones that you fall in love with, the perfect ones that you have as pets. And I'm sure it was confusing. And so all over Egypt at sunset, you would hear the bleeding, bleating, T-I-N-G, of all these little lambs being slaughtered at the same time. And it would be so, I mean, I just think it would be hard. I don't think any farmer who ever has to, you know, get rid of one of their flocks, it's always a little bit hard, you know. And so there are these shepherds. They've never done this before. And then they have to take their little lamb's blood and put it on the walls of their house. I doubt they realize they're not coming back. I doubt they realize that. I mean, they've heard it. But haven't you ever heard something, even from God, and you just don't believe it? You just feel like, I've been here so long, I'm never getting out. Have you? Has anyone ever felt that? I've been here so long, I'm never getting out. It's never going to happen. I'm never going to graduate. I'm never going to get a job. I'm never going to get married. I'm never going to um, get this business off the ground. I'm never going to disciple someone I'm never going to move into my whatever it is you know we can tend to think that and then when God says okay this is it you're moving you're moving into it you're you think no it can't be it can't be it it just can't be so okay so moving on in verse 21 then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them go and take for yourselves lamb according to family your families and slay the Passover lamb you shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood which is in the basin and apply some of the blood that is in the basin to the lintel and the two doorposts, and none of you shall go outside of the door till the morning. For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to come into your house to smite you. Now, realize that the Israelites, I'm sure, did just as much as the Egyptians to arouse the Lord's wrath. And that's why the blood is there. 
because sin requires the shedding of blood. We learned that in Genesis 1. Genesis 3, sorry. And so this, you know, it's not like the Israelites are probably any better because they certainly brought a lot of idols with them, didn't they, when the God was bringing them out and then they were constantly in trouble. But the, what is the difference? The blood of the lamb. That's the difference between the Israelites and the Egyptians. It's just the blood of the lamb. Because he said, if I don't see the blood, if I don't see the blood, then you will not be spared. So, okay. And you shall observe this event as an ordinance for you and your children forever. When you enter the land which the Lord gives you, as he promised, you shall observe this right. And when your children say to you, what does this right mean to you? You shall say, it is a Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the sons of Israel in Egypt when he smote the Egyptians but spared our homes. And the people bowed low and worshipped. Then the sons of Israel went and did so, just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. Now it came about midnight. The Lord struck all the firstborn in Egypt, in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the cattle. Pharaoh arose at, in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was no home where there was not someone dead. Then he called for Moses and Aaron at night and said, Rise up, get out from among my people, both you and the sons of Israel, and go and worship the Lord. As you have said, take both your flocks and your herds, as you have said, and go, and bless me also. Um, if, if that happened today, I was just thinking of my own family. In my own family, it would mean Rusty, Kate, Zach, me would all be gone. I mean, just imagine who are the firstborns. Everyone, you know, everyone was. It, it was a terrible, terrible night. Not a night they did not deserve because of their sin, but that's what we deserve too. So it's very hard because we talked last week about how merciful God is. It's hard for us to understand when he finally says, okay, the time is done. You've reached your limit. So um, the Egyptians, so Pharaoh finally says, okay, go, get out, go. The Egyptians urged the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, we will all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened with their kneading bowls bound up in the clothes on their shoulders. So do you see the unleavened bread? It was prophetic when God told them to not use leaven because they wouldn't have time. And he was basically prophesying with the leaven saying what happened is they were doing their bread and they it didn't have time to rise. And so they wrapped up their bowls and they took it with them because they just like we have cereal every morning 
they made bread every morning. We have eggs every morning. They made bread every morning. So, um, now the sons of Israel had done according to the word of Moses, for they had requested from the Egyptians articles of silver and articles of gold and clothing. And all of that is going to be used for what? The tabernacle, right? The tabernacle. So, um, and the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they left them, they let them have their request. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. Now the sons of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot, aside from children. A mixed multitude also went up with them, along with flocks and herds, a very large number of livestock. They baked the dough they had, which they had brought out of Egypt into cakes of unleavened bread, for it had not become leavened since they were driven out of Egypt and could not delay, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. Now, the time that the sons of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years, and at the end of 430 years to the very day, all the hosts of the Lord went from the land of Egypt. <coughs> so I just want you to see a few things about this. Number one, destruction and rescue were both coming. So the Lord was saying, destruction is coming, but I will rescue you. Destruction is coming, but I will rescue you. And he gave them plenty of warning and plenty of time to experience the plagues. I mean, did they really think God was going to stop? You know, I mean, they'd already had diseases that had wiped off most of the livestock. They had a blight on their cup. Did they really think God was going to stop until he was done? And we can think that, oh, God is just going to stop. But... You know, we talked about that last week, that God is the judge. And so, um, and one of the things that I love is that it's such a big chaotic mess. And, you know, one of my favorite things is to have my house filled with the people I love, all doing their own thing, or especially like 10 of them cooking in the kitchen together. That is just... It is just so, like, it makes me so happy. And I just stand there, and I'm surrounded by chaos. And I think, wow, this is like, life is good. I love this. And I think if I had been in the midst of the exodus, I would have been looking around going, this is so cool. You know, people people would be going, oh, my goodness, look at this jewelry. It's so beautiful. I love it. And, you know, they would be um, moving around and... They would be, um, you know, it would be chaotic. The bread didn't even rise. Oh, my goodness, the bread is flat. That's so different, you know. And, of course, there'd be the complainers, and they'd be going, I don't like bread that's not leavened. It really tastes bad, you know. And But all in all, it would be a big chaotic mess. It would be so exciting because you're leaving. You're going somewhere new, and you've been rescued. And though that wailing the night before, you didn't wail. You didn't mourn because God spared your family. And I just think that's so cool that the blood was shed to protect them from judgment. But the blood was shed also so that they would be rescued. And they would move from an old place to a new place. And I think that is really, really significant to understand. 
as we're looking back at the Passover. So now here's my question. What about the lamb? What about the lamb that was slaughtered? He was our lamb, and he was the one slaughtered. And what about him? Because, of course, those lambs, they were perfect. They had to be without blemish. They had to be perfect. They had to be healthy. It had to be a sacrifice to take their life. But they still were animals. But now we have not only someone who's fully human, but someone who's fully God. So... Now we're going to look at Isaiah 53, and starting in verse 4, and this is what it says. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. You see, the lamb, God was not mad at the lamb. If God had been mad at those little lambs that were slaughtered, they could never have protected, their blood could never have protected the people from his anger. It had to be the slaughter of something that was beautiful and meaningful to God. It had to be something that he looked at and he thought was wonderful. It would only be the blood of a creature like that that would be able to appease his wrath. And so when people look at Jesus, they saw him being crushed for our sins. And, you know, they considered him punished by God. He was punished by God, but not because he deserved it or not because God wanted to, if that makes sense. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us turned to his own way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. And now we move into Jesus, the Lamb of God, who is arrested, who is has false charges brought against him, who goes right to the cross without ever once defending himself. Never. He never defends himself. He never tries to get away. He does negotiate with the Father in the garden, but surrenders. And so there we have the lamb who was perfect. And now he is going to be slaughtered so that his blood could appease the wrath of God. And so when John was saying, behold the lamb, they knew something about the sacrifice, something about the sacrificial lamb, the Passover lamb. And this goes on and it says, um, by oppression and judgment, he was taken away. 
Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied, and there's the resurrection. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he has poured out his life unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. So there we have Jesus, and he willingly takes your sin and your sin and your sin and your sin on himself and receives the punishment of God. And he gains nothing from that, but we gain everything. And I, would, I always, my favorite part of the whole last week of Jesus' life is when he's praying in the garden and all the gospels talk about him saying, not my will, but thine be done. But John 17 goes into all the things he prays for. And he prays for all of the people that he's dying for. And that to me is so significant because sometimes we can impersonalize the cross but it's in John 17 first he prays for his disciples then he prays for those who do not yet know me who will never see me but they'll hear about me and believe and he prays for us and so if you ever feel like you're insignificant Jesus was praying for you before he went to the cross and you were the joy set before him and one day on um on sunday we were praying for jean and um leanne shared something and the holy spirit spoke this to my heart he said that's my girl that's what he said and it just, it really, um, every once in a while, like, the Lord will just give me, like, this insight into his heart. Like, in these little ways, like, and I'll just think, how does that make sense? You know, because I've always felt like, in my life, I've always felt like other people were nicer, <laughs> more polite, less bad-tempered, you know? <laughs> And yet the Lord chased me down and I belong to him. And he's done something in my life where I, Jim and I were talking about it today. And I said, I don't, all I know is this. I was one way and then I met Jesus and I was never the same. And my insights were never the same and my thoughts were never the same. 
and my attitudes were never the same. And it was all because I knew that he loved me. I knew that he loved me and I understood the cross. And, and I think, and you know, I was, a, um, I was saved during the Jesus people hippie revival and um, half of those people had been, they'd fried their brains, you know, on any kind of drug you can think of. And I remember being at Jesus 79, and we were sitting around a campfire. And everybody played acoustic guitars. <laughs> so everyone had their acoustic guitar. And then this one guy, he's like, yeah, man, yeah, man. It just, it all goes back to the cross, man. And I mean, it seemed like he was still stoned. I know he he was born again, but his mind had just been obliterated, you know? And until God did a reconstruction miracle, you know, he was going to... But I remember that, that those words have always stuck to me, and they stayed with me my whole life. I was 16, and um, they stayed with me because the cross is what won my heart. And the cross is what keeps my heart. Because when we understand the cross, we understand what love is. And until we understand the cross, we don't really understand what true love is. Because it's very hard for us. God is other than. He just says his name. He says, I am. In other words, he's just so different from us. And so most of us, when we've experienced anger in our lives, it's been from people who were out of control, who didn't love us. And so we have a very hard time connecting anger and love, judgment and love. We, we don't understand that. And so it's very hard for us to understand who God is. And we don't really appreciate the cross unless we appreciate the character of God that swept through Egypt and destroyed sin and judged sin. We just don't. We don't appreciate what that blood means. And how much love is there to rescue us with the blood. And so I I would, this is what I would like to ask of you. If you would pray a really simple prayer every day for the next week. Lord, show me how much you love me. And I guarantee you. He will speak to you this week about the cross and he'll unfold it more and more. So what happened to the lamb who was slain? And, you know, John calls him a lamb. Mostly the lamb in the Old Testament are lambs that are sacrificed. Peter refers to... um, the precious blood of the lamb. But um, it's interesting. I'm not going to go into this verse, but um, 
you know, the verse in Peter, I mean, in Corinthians, where he says, um, he talks about, um, oh, I'm sorry. So Peter says, for you know it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him so that your faith and hope are in God. So what does he say? He said, you were redeemed from an empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers by the precious blood of the lamb. So this precious blood of the lamb, it pulls you out. It doesn't just protect you from wrath, but it pulls you out. It pulls you out of death. It pulls you out of darkness. It pulls you out of a life that is empty, that is foolish. It pulls you out of a way of living that is futile, I guess is the best word I can say. So the blood pulls you out. It's that precious blood of the lamb that redeems you. So you were not just put... The lamb just did not get a hold of you to protect you from hell. The lamb got a hold of you to pull you out. And then I was I was also reading in uh, Corinthians, and um, he says this. Um, oh. oh, here it is. Okay, so it's 1 Corinthians 5, and he says... Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven works, leavens the whole lump of dough? Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump, just as you are, in fact, unleavened. For Christ, our Passover, also has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us celebrate the feast, not with the old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So in 1 Corinthians, he talks about the leaven. He talks about the lamb. And basically what he's, you know what, what the context of that is? There's someone in the church that is sleeping with their mother, their stepmother. And the whole church is bragging about it. They're saying, aren't we so cool? We are so with it. We're so cool. And Paul says, whoa. You know, and that's what the leaven he's talking about, that sexual immorality that has come in. And then he goes afterwards and, and that's the, the part right after is where he says, you know what? If someone claims to be a Christian, but they don't live the way Christ told them to live, don't have anything to do with them. Now, I don't mean the world. Otherwise, you'd never hang out with the world. But if someone claims to be a Christian, but he's not living that way, and he lists some things. So this idea, God called you out. The lamb called you out. Don't let the leaven back in because the lamb called you out. And that precious blood of the lamb put you in a new place. And if you feel like you're in bondage to a sin, the lamb called you out. If you feel like I just can't stop losing my temper, the lamb called you out. If you are struggling with depression, the lamb called you out. Do you hear that? The lamb called you out. And I'm going to end with this. And this is my very favorite part of the lamb. So this is in heaven. 
I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book written inside and on the back, sealed up with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel with a loud voice saying, Who is worthy to open the book and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the book or look into it. Then I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so to open the book and its seven seals. So now we know the lamb turned into a lion, right? However, and I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders, a lamb standing as if it, as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he came out and took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. When he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. So God chooses in his glorified state to be a lamb, a slain lamb, a lamb looking as if it had been slain. And I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the number of them were myriads of myriads and thousands and thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And every created thing which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them, I heard them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying, Amen. And the elders fell down in worship. So, I always wonder, why is he a lamb in heaven? Because we know he's the Lion of Judah. We know he's a glorious king. And I think, because as a lamb, Jesus as a lamb demonstrated how much he loves us. And there is nothing more clear than the lamb going to the slaughter not because of himself but for us and so I hope you know that you if you struggle with feeling loved by the Lord that you will take some time to look at the cross. You can take my notes home if you want, um, whatever you want. I can send these to you, but think about these verses and, and remember that Jesus loved you so much, he didn't just rescue you. I mean, he didn't just forgive your sins and wipe away your sins, but he rescued you and he pulled you out. And so that's what I want you to talk about in your groups today. Are you experiencing God's love? And two, do you feel like there's areas in your life where you need the lamb to pull you out? And are you believing the lie that you're still there? Because the devil can only keep you trapped if you believe the lie that you're still there. Jesus has set you free.
you know, and there's nothing in and of ourselves that can do it, but Jesus in us can do everything. So if you're trapped in a lie today and you feel like you want to share it, you know, I talked to someone recently that has believed so many lies about themselves that they actually live in an alternate universe. And it's just not that they're crazy because they're not crazy, but they interact with other people based on all these absurd lies. And so they don't experience all the blessings that God has for them because of this. They're living inside these lies. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? If you do, nod your head. Okay. 